This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honestly often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. And this is another entry in the Redux edition of our podcast where we'll be posting bonus non-character actor content for anyone subscribed to HPM+. And for this episode, we're continuing our Leading Legends series in which episodes see us select an A-list star and each recommend one movie in which they appear and that people should watch. And you picked Pitt last, so it was my turn to pick and I chose The Great Denzel Washington. And uh, do you have a little bio there for Denzel? I do, yep. Denzel Washington was born in Mount Vernon, New York in 1954. He began acting off-Broadway in 1979, and since then has become a highly accomplished actor on both stage and screen. He has frequently worked with Spike Lee, Anton Fuqua, and Tony Scott, most notably in films like Malcolm X, Training Day, and Man on Fire. He has won two Oscars, three Golden Globes, a Screen Actors Guild Award, and a Tony. As a producer and director, he has made his own starring vehicles, including The Great Debaters and Fences. His son, John David Washington, is also an actor and has worked with Spike Lee and Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I chose Denzel for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, he was recently voted Best Actor of the 21st Century by the New York Times. Yeah, he's about to star as Macbeth in Joe Cohen's solo flick, The Tragedy of Macbeth. He's also directed a movie called A Journal for Jordan, coming out later in the year with Michael B. Jordan. So he's been on my mind a lot, and I feel like he's going to be coming back into popular culture in a big way. And I just think as a star, he can ju- naturally just project so much intelligence, but also charisma. But also world weariness too. Like he's made a career of playing authority figures or action men with varying degrees of both swagger and hauntedness. And he he's a bit in that Tom Hanks mode where he's it's just engrossing to watch him play someone who is proficient and good at their job. Uh, yeah, he makes that interesting. And I also think growing up, I didn't appreciate Denzel enough in that I didn't give his filmography the credit it deserves because while there are some incredible movies in there like Malcolm X or Inside Man or devil in a blue dress or man on fire he's in a lot of solid entertaining but not earth-shaking movies stuff like safe house or the equalizer john q two guns a couple of the tony scott clubs like deja vu and the palm one two three remake just to name a few and i think when there were a lot more movies of that kind being made by hollywood with other actors i may not have given denzel enough appreciation and maybe wish he'd do something a bit more ambitious or transformative or like pull a day lewis or something where which he occasionally does like in things like malcolm x or flight or roman j israel which roman j israel he's incredible in even if that movie's a little flawed and obviously he's gonna play macbeth which is something new but on those other like more typical denzel flicks i mentioned now that that particular kind of mainstream mid-budget thriller that is aimed at adults has really died because it's all sort of low-budget horror or superhero franchises now at least in cinemas anyway I have a huge amount of affection for those movies I previously didn't think that much about and for Denzel for continuing to make them. Like even recently there was The Little Things, which I tremendously enjoyed, even though like it got mixed reviews, because movies like that used to come along twice a year and now they're they would be eight episode series. And I I just love seeing that sort of dark, uncompromised story told competently in two hours with three Oscar winners in the lead role. Like there was a there's a sheen to that. And uh, I just hugely respect Denzel Washington for never appearing in a superhero movie and not returning to TV during its golden age. I, I feel like he's really used his star power to keep the cinema experience feeling like an important thing for mainstream audiences, and particularly adult ones. Uh, not just in movies he acts in, but stuff he directs. Like, let's not forget, like he made Fences and helped get patron saint of the pod, uh, Viola Davis, and Oscar. And unlike a lot of stars, he doesn't have a massive flop or embarrassment. Like, there's no Hudson Hawk for Bruce Willis or, like, The Mummy for Tom Cruise. Uh, my least favourite of the Denzel Washington movies I've seen is The Bone Collector. And even that's, like, perfectly watchable and was a hit. 
you know? Yeah. But, but, but what are your thoughts on Denzel? Anything to add? Like, I wouldn't call myself uh, a connoisseur of his work. I don't think I've uh, ever really engaged with some of his more serious stuff like Malcolm X. I think I, I've always seen him as like a really good uh, like th- star of like thrillers. So like mm-hmm. I love Man on Fire. I think Man on Fire is incredible. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. Um, and so every time he's in a thriller, I'm like, oh, this will be good. Even if even if the thr- the movie itself is not that good, like the Pelican Brief, um, he is always good in it, mm. and uh, uh, that's what's always appealed to me about Denzel. I think his tours have gotten especially good the more he's had control of them and of his star image. Like stuff like the Pelican Brief was maybe like when he was coming up, but like all the Tony Scott collabs, even the ones that are less than, all very watchable and very entertaining. Even some of the Fuqua stuff, Inside Man would be my favorite Denzel Washington movie, and he's just fire in that film basically for this we've already talked about inside man in our defoe episode so i didn't really feel like talking about it again or watching it again and then my second favorite would probably be man on fire which you picked and so instead of re-watching spike lee's three and a half hour malcolm x biopic which would probably be my third i decided to fill a blind spot and watch the one denzel washington tony scott collaboration i haven't seen which is actually the first uh, crimson tide and i did that because another person who also doesn't get enough credit or didn't when he was alive was Denzel's most frequent collaborator, Tony Scott, who was Ridley Scott's brother, and similarly to his brother, was very prolific and an incredible craftsman. But because he made more straightforward crime thrillers that were less prestigious, I, he didn't get as much critical acclaim as he deserved, or maybe his brother did. And I think it's a testament to him that we both picked Tony Scott movies as like people who just like audiences like growing up, like we love these movies. And you know, we could have picked Unstoppable or Deja Vu too, and the episode would still be good. And um, I think I'd never watched Crimson Tide before because I, it's sort of a, you know, what if the Cuban Missile Crisis happened again but with the Russians? And I thought it would be overly patriotic to the US, but it's not. It's actually quite scathing about America, which is great. Um, so the plot sees Russian rebels take control of nuclear weapons after which the Americans mobilize. And among the vessels sent to try to deal with the situation is the nuclear sub USS Alabama, which is run by Captain Ramsey, who's played by Gene Hackman, who wasn't formally educated in the art of warfare but worked his way through the system with hard work and has this sort of old-fashioned shoot first, think second mentality. And he's just picked out a new second in command named Commander Hunter, played by Washington, who has never seen combat but was educated at Harvard on all things war-related, so there's already a bit of hostility over their differences and their way of doing things. And basically they're given orders to make an attack which could potentially trigger World War III, a global nuclear holocaust. But when they're in the process of receiving another order, the ship's communications are damaged, so the entire message is not received. And Hackman's Ramsey decides to continue with their previous order while Washington's hunter wants to re-establish contact first before attacking in case they were being told to stand down. And because they both need to agree to launch a nuclear attack, they put heads and distrust grows on the sub between those who believe Hackman is right and that Washington is like inexperienced and those who think Hackman is being reckless and power drunk and that Washington makes sense. Captain, I cannot concur. Repeat my command. Sir, we don't know what this message means. Our target package could have changed. You repeat this order or I'll find somebody who will. Oh, no, you won't, sir. You're relieved to your position. Cobb, remove Mr. Hunter from the control room 
Get no, Lieutenant sir. Zimmerman here no, right sir. now. No, sir. I do not concur, and I do not recognize your authority to relieve me under command under Navy regulations. Cobb, arrest this man Captain and get him out of here. Under operating procedures governing the release of nuclear weapons, we cannot launch our missiles unless both you and I agree. Cobb, now, what are you waiting for? Me, sir. This is expressly why your command must be repeated. It requires my assent. I do not give it. And furthermore, you continue upon this course and insist upon this launch without confirming this message Stop first. Bitch. I will be Chief of the boat. by the rules of precedence. Captain Commanding Officer. Captain, please, the XO is right. We can't launch unless he concurs. I think if you're going to have two actors argue over the fate of the world, make it two of the best actors of their generations, respectively. And Crimson Tide is also part of that phase of movies in Hackman's career, where he plays the older, more grizzled professional teamed up with like a young rookie. Like you get the vibe the studio is seeing if this younger star can hold his own against one of the greats. So, so I think other examples of this sort of subcategory of movies would be Mississippi Burning with Defoe, which you talked about in the pod. Then The Firm with Tom Cruise, and then Enemy of the State, another Tony Scott movie with Will Smith. And I think Denzel does the really smart thing here, where he doesn't try to match a Hackman's energy, because Hackman is great here as this large-in-life asshole character with just enough of a credibility that you actually do start to doubt in Washington's character's choices. Sometimes Hackman acts like the biggest jerk in the world, but then he'll explain why he did it, and you're like, mm, okay, yeah, right. But it's a very big performance, whereas Denzel... Meanwhile, like at the start of the film, is very quiet because it's a new job for his character Hunter and he wants to make a good impression to Hackman's Ramsey. But you can tell the more he learns about Ramsey and how much they fundamentally disagree about life and warfare that there's a real sense of him at first trying to bite his tongue and not upset the apple cart. But that over the course of the film, he feels compelled to speak up until he makes the choice to relieve Ramsey of his duty before Ramsey then leads a mutiny. All the while, nuclear war may just be about to kick off inside of the sub. Like, this movie's really tense and taut if I haven't said it already. But... Denzel's big scene involves basically all the crew on the sub are having dinner and are talking about whether or not they would have dropped the nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. And Hackman said that he would, and he sees it as his job not to debate the morals of the act, but to just follow the orders he's given by the U.S. government and ensure total destruction of the enemy. And he asks Washington if he agrees, and he's reticent to answer. And Hackman sort of draws attention to it and sort of ball-busting him for, and pushes him for a reply and is trying to make a bit of a show of him in front of all the other crew members. And after trying to avoid the question and wriggle out of it, while smiling and trying to appear kind of good-natured about it, the whole thing, uh, Washington states, like, I think in the nuclear world the true enemy can't be destroyed. And Hackman's like, oh, yeah, and who is that? He's kind of being sarcastic. And Washington responds, in my humble opinion, in the nuclear world, the true enemy is war itself. And he's saying that, like, now it's up for people in positions of power, like Hackman's character, to try and avoid war at all costs, not just blindly follow orders. And you can see Hackman is like, not happy about the answer but can't come up with a retort and it's like Washington who actually walks away with that scene not Hackman even though Hackman is doing most of the talking and kind of bringing a lot of the bluster and the energy and I think Crimson Tide is kind of the perfect blueprint for the type of characters Washington will play throughout the 21st century in that he's incredibly smart and capable of his job and he has this intensity because he's having to fight for the fate of all mankind, essentially. But also, Quentin Tarantino did uncredited rewrites on the script for Crimson Tide because he and Tony Scott had recently collaborated on True Romance, and Tarantino basically, I think, just kind of beefed up the jokes in this, so it's not just a movie about, like, military actions and drills. So there's this really funny and cool scene where 
two crew members are fighting and Washington pulls them aside or pulls one of them aside and chastises them and the person explains like we got into a fight over which version of the comic book character the Silver Surfer is the best and Washington is like giving out to them and saying like he'll write them off if they do it again giving them a lot of shit for it and then he's like everyone knows Jack Kirby's is the best <laughs> and it, it's so entertaining and then similarly there's a, when the transmission is down and they need to get the radio fixed to receive the completed version of the second order that they received that didn't come through he's talking to one of the tech guys and he's like do you ever watch Star Trek? You know when Kirk calls down to Scotty and he says like, I need more power, I need more power. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah warp speed. And he's like, yeah, yeah, like that. I'm Kirk, you're Scotty, and I need more warp speed. And if we don't get it, billions will die. And the level of like seriousness and like enunciation Washington gives the dog just makes it all the more absurd and brilliant and funny. And just on top of that, like just an amazing roster of character actors like Viggo Mortensen, in his kind of character actor phase, uh, James Galdafini, James Robards briefly, and then like Tony Scott directs the hell out of it, like lots of Dutch camera angles, puts his cameras in like every possible position it could fit into like the cramped subspace, really makes it feel kinetic. He does this really smart thing where at the beginning there's a lot of emphasis on like training drills where we see everyone what they would do to prepare in like the case of a disaster. And it actually feels necessary to the plot and is compelling. And those scenes are very long and have all these swirling takes and really emphasize all the details so that when shit kicks off and they're going to have to do these stuff that they were training for, you don't need to kind of mess around. Everything is just very shot, very fast and very clean because we already know what they're doing and where they're going. Just little things like that, just like elevate the movie above similar movies of this type, I think. Yeah, I get you. It sounds great. Like, I'm I'm normally a bit hesitant when it comes to submarine movies, which is part of why I haven't seen Crimson Tide or Red October or any of those kind of movies, uh, or The Widowmaker. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this one sounds like... Uh, like, I, if I could trust anyone to make a submarine thriller, I'd trust Tony Scott. Yeah, exactly. And then I think Tony Scott, as his career goes on, becomes a little bit more daring in terms of his filmmaking to to an extent that I think people didn't like it <laughs> like in stuff like Domino uh, but uh, I think Man on Fire is the perfect bridge point where it's really formally adventurous but it actually is suiting this story because it, it's putting you into the head of this very like tormented character you know what I mean exactly do, do you, yeah. you can talk about it more in depth yeah yeah I'll, I'll jump into it so Denzel Washington plays John W. Creasy a former CIA operative who struggles with alcoholism and guilt over his past actions. After taking his friend Paul Rayburn's uh, offer on a bodyguard position, he becomes the bodyguard to Lupita Pita Ramos, who's played by Dakota Fanning. After an, ish- an initial suicide attempt fails, Creasy channels his efforts into helping Pita with their swimming competitions and both grow closer. Soon, however, Pita is kidnapped and Creasy goes on the warpath. Hurry! Class is about to begin. Okay. Bye, Creasy. You must look after our Peter. It is not good that she's late today. I'm very sorry. I, uh, I have to get used to the roots. It won't happen again, I promise. No offense, but I regret that your profession needs to exist. <laughs> so do I, Marjorie. So do I. Do you ever see the hand of God in what you do? No. Not for a long time. The Bible says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome, overcome evil, evil with, with good. good. Romanos capitolo 12, versículo 21. I'm the sheep that got lost, Madre. Yeah, so like you were saying with uh, Tony Scott's like kind of more daring approach, it's like this 
sunburnt, scuzzy color correction and out of whack editing that like led us in- inside this alcoholic burnout's head. And we're, from the jump, we're like, oh, this is a bad place to be. Like th- the movie starts and Denzel is like unshaven. His hair is in a, is in a bit of a mess. And he's uh, he's just looking to go to Mexico for some R&R with his best friend, uh, Paul, who's played by Christopher Walken, who's the only person in Mexico who knows what Creasy is truly capable of, which has a great, has a great exp- line of expedition later on in the movie. Creasy saw his death. And he's about to paint his masterpiece. Unreal. Unreal. Um, and a lot of, like, the kind of whacked out editing would be, like, a lot of repeated actions. So, like, he's always jacking the slide on his gun and catching the bullet. He's always, like, lifting a bottle to his mouth. and Or, like, clapping two bricks together when he's training Peter how to swim. Be- how to swim better, even. Um, and these kind of repeated actions over and over again through that editing, they come, become almost, like, ritualistic in nature. They're, like, acts of both like contrition and flat and self-flagellation i guess and uh, they let us into this man's head and we understand instinctively what's wrong with him rather than through exposition or anything because we never know what he did in the cia or why he's an alcoholic we just know that it was so bad that he's willing to break his own um, religious belief that suicide is wrong in order to like escape this horrible pain he's in and it makes this kind of in, in idiosyncratic editing a distinct logical choice rather than a merely stylistic one that I think a lot of people found kind of annoying at the time. And like I said, it all fits into John Creasy's religious belief, which, you know, as always, kind of reflects Denzel's own and lets us understand why his boiling internal conflict, which is only barely muted by alcohol, is so difficult for him. But on the other end of the scale, on the entertainment factor, it's also dad core cinema taken to its most extreme <laughs> with the kind of with the kind of insane man into myth storytelling that St- Tony Scott does really well and it, I think it's probably this is probably his best work like there's a bit where um I think one of the side characters a jur- uh, the journalist or um a, a police officer uh not a police officer he's like a a federal investigator of some kind uh, in Mexico asks um Creasy if um if he can forgive um what these people have done because he think for a lot of the film once Peter is kidnapped he assumes the kid the ransom goes wrong and uh, they, he just assumes that Peter has been killed as punishment for the ransom going wrong and the drug lord's nephew being killed and so he goes on the warpath for revenge not for a rescue mission um and he's asked could he forgive these people what they what what they've done and he just goes forgiveness is between them and god it's up to me to arrange the meeting like, yes <laughs> um and it's also like uh, dakota fanning i think was probably around nine or ten when this was filmed and if anyone who's seen charlotte's web or um war of the worlds knows she's just like she, at that stage of her career she was a very cute but knows you know a, a child actor's child actor if you get me she's uh you know just uh you never want to see her in peril. You always want to see her having a good time. And I think the relationship between Creasy and Peter, which is really given time to breathe, like this is a two and a half hour movie. And I think, I don't think the kidnapping happens until at least, I want to say 45 minutes, maybe an hour into it, even maybe even longer. And I think that relationship is, it's really believable and funny because uh, Peter is, you know, one of these kids, one of these really precocious kids without being annoying. And it's, it's sympathetic as well because Creasy uh, is one of the only friends Peter has because she's in such danger of being kidnapped in Mexico City because of her dad's job. And uh, he treats her not as an adult, which would be wrong, but like with respect and like engages with her where she can't engage with most of the kids outside of school or with, uh, any, or with like, 
the people that work for her family or her parents. And I think Washington, Denzel himself is quite a bit more subdued here. I think the character's actions and his past, and because we're already in his head, um, speaks louder than any anything he could say, other than the forgiveness line, which is an all-timer. Um, <laughs> Like he's not walk, he's not like in training day walking around bellowing like King Kong ain't got shit on me. He never enjoys it. Exactly, yeah. Because and we already know King Kong ain't got shit on Creasy anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and like no other film makes putting a bomb up a man's ass seem like such a <laughs> somber and riotous act. And and it's this, similarly few other films put as much emotional meaning into a five word exchange like Man on Fire does with where like. Uh, he's what he's he takes her to a swim meet and um, she doesn't win and he's like uh, he, 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 it's meant as this like uh, kind of compliment where he's like oh he just says two words and he's like strong swimmer and she's like I never win and I think obviously it's intended as this kind of innocuous compliment by this very reserved by this initially very reserved man uh, Creasy but I think the realization that he he can actually improve Peter's life rather than destroy uh, another one like he has throughout his career, hits him like a ton of bricks. And I think um, it's really only Denzel that could, um, and maybe one or two others, that could take a character as one note as Creasy and turn him into one of the most tragic figures of modern action cinema. Um, And I think whereas John Wick, say, went from tragedy to myth-making in the space of a few, to like this myth-making melodrama in the space of a few scenes, Man on Fire is like, melancholic from its depressing beginning to tear to its tear-jerking end and at the time I saw I first saw it I think I was I want to say I was 16 or 17 and up to that point only two other films had made me cry which were The Green Mile and Shark Tale um and this was the third one and uh, like we like we've been saying it's just such a specific kind of film that whose like we'll probably never see again at least uh, you know not for the next few years at least what with the cinema the way it is but uh, yeah, I'd, re- I'd just really urge uh, anyone and everyone to check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, oh, yeah, and it's it's coming to Netflix on September fifteenth too. I just noticed, and then Crimson Tide, which I watched, is on Disney Plus. I don't think I have anything more to say about Man of Fire. Yeah, he puts a bomb up a guy's ass. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> um, rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Email I know that facepod at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to the show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Andrew, where can people find more your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. You can find me at joe.e and yeah, the Headstuff Home section. See you later, soon, folks. Bye-bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.